if they ask you what you're listening to. Say Capital. Capital FM. Capital FM Moscow. Capital FM. 105.3. We speak English. We play a hit. Capital FM. With Alan Moore. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Capital FM here in Moscow's beautiful city and to Capital Sports. I'm Alan Moore, and thankfully, back in the studio with me today, I have Mr. Peter P. Hey. And I have hello. Mr. Alex B. Uh, hello, hello, hello. And today is, of course, a very important uh, day for Alan National Turkey Lovers Day. Okay, I do love my turkeys. That and of true. course, Father's Day. Well, thank you. Well, Father's Day. Oh, oh, how sweet. I, that, that set me up so well. Yes, of course, happy Father's Day all around the world to uh, all the fathers listening in. Um, because we always celebrate Mother's Day, but Father's Day gets a bit of a sort of a pass, but let's... Okay, yeah. it's Father's Day. So not we're here, s- not here. Not here, no. Not, not we respect necessary. everybody equally. So we are going to get straight into the sports tonight, and we have an absolutely top-class show tonight. We have news from around the world and some really, really hot stuff as well. So... Um, uh, we have coming up very, very shortly, Mr. Peter Staunton, of course, the senior writer with Gold.com. He's going to talk about what's happening in England with Maurizio Sarri, Frank Lampard or so. We're going to kick that off, of course, here, but he's going to continue it on. And, of course, he's going to look back because one year ago, it was, of course, the World Cup here in Russia. He's going to tell us what he remembers about Russia and, of course, the time he spent with here in the studio. We will have Andrew Flint. He's not out in Siberia right now. He's not in Tumen. He's actually in Manchester. So he's going to give us a full rundown on all that we need to know about English football right now. And, of course, some strange events with Mr. Chris Froome. We will then have Joseph Sexton. He is a freelance uh, football journalist, but, of course, he has written for Mark as well as a, a number of huge, huge uh, publications. Uh, he's going to speak about the Copa America. What's happening with uh, Mr. Messi? Because it is getting a bit messy for him right now in the Copa. And all the ins and outs in La Liga. And, of course, later on, don't shake your head. That was quite funny. <laughs> Alex Alex is just going oh please no more it's Father's Day I'm allowed a dad joke it's okay and then of course we have Mr Andy McLean of course Andy is hiding he's hiding after Scotland got a hiding last week against Belgium of course he got absolutely battered Um, so he's kind of hiding from us here but we'll we'll go to him a little bit later on so we'll round up of course the 2020 Euro qualifiers we will have a little bit of a look at the uh, European Nations League final we'll speak with Copa America we will say is it sorry to see Sarri go Um, what's happening of course uh, well everything's going with the the, um, how do you say Russia just keep on winning they just keep getting the job done no matter what they just seem to keep rolling out those three pointers and of course we'll speak a little bit about the Maradona movie however we will start up with a bit of a round off from the uh, European qualifiers before we go on to that Nations League final which of course was between Portugal and the Netherlands uh, Peter which was the first game that you were covering last week for us well uh, the first game I was covering was Italy Bosnia game the, the 2-1 game uh, I mean Pretty expected of like Italy to win, but I, I like the fact that Bosnia managed to score one goal. And of course, the second one was the Slovakia-Azerbaijan game, a 5-1 game. And honestly, Azerbaijan is like having some tough luck right now because they're going up against Wales uh, second, and then after them is Croatia. So oh. best of luck to Azerbaijan. And I, listen, you're, you're terrible because I'll tell you something. They're going to be coming up against a Croatian side that is angry because, of course, Croatia lost last week uh, against Hungary. Now, this was kind of, how do you say, a battle of the, well, ruler against the ruler because, of course, I remember back in, was it the uh, 8th century, 9th century, Hungary took, or maybe it was a little bit later, the 10th century, Hungary took over Croatia. So there you go. So now the Croatians thought, we'll get one back. We're better than the Hungarians. 
but the Hungarians beat them. So 2-1 that result. I mean, it was a bit of a shocker because no one really, you know, thought it was going to happen, especially when Croatia got a goal. Uh, Ante Rebic scored early on, I think, in about uh, 12, 13 minutes. And then, you know, before, before the, the halftime, uh, Hungary equalised and then they scored in the second half. No one expected that. Of course, we all saw Hung- uh, Croatia in the World Cup final yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah they're, I mean, they're they are. So well, exactly. And they're a good team. They have a huge amount of talent. They have great players like, coming through as well, great young players. But they just don't seem to be having a good time right now because uh, right now, uh, Hungary are defying expectations. They are top of Group E. They are ahead of Slovakia, Croatia, Wales, and of course, have not been that great of late, but still, you'd fancy them to get a win against Azerbaijan. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, they're going to beat Azerbaijan and then Croatia will get the points. Okay, Alex, what were you covering for us in the Euro qualifiers? Uh, well, I selected three teams that I think have actually... Well, for some, for some of them it's surprising, for some of them not really, but they've all been doing very well. So first of all, it's Spain against Sweden. So Spain won 3-0 against a pr- pretty formidable opponent. And uh, they had 75% possession to Sweden's 25, Ooh. 23 shots to Sweden's 5, 7 shots on target to Sweden's 1. So they essentially were dominating the game. So 90% pass accuracy. So I think they're in a pretty 90%. good role. Yeah. Well, we, okay. Before we go, before we, we go further, we always know, of course, that Spain they play the kind of this tiki taka, so they play very, very short passes. How many passes did they have in the game? Uh, Spain they had um, they had two hundred ninety six. Okay, so that's that. Is that to, to uh, Spain's eight hundred forty three? So. Eight, eight, eight hundred forty three yes. Spanish passes. Now remember, most of the Spanish passes are only like a few meters from each other. Right, doesn't matter. The fact that they're ninety percent is. Pretty darn good. So yeah, a 3-0. That the Spain um went into that game just three points ahead of Sweden. Um Spain have to top that group. They have to finish at least the top two to get uh, get a playoff. Sweden are already <laughs> assured of a playoff out of that group in Group F, and Norway, of course, who were in fourth place, they're also assured of a playoff. But Spain needed to win that game and they won it quite well. Okay, yeah. what else have you got? Uh next we had Germany just completely dominate Estonia, eight nil. So they had twenty-seven shots to Estonia's four, seventeen shots on target to Estonia's two. 82% possession, 1,004 passes to Estonia's 220, 93% pass accuracy. That is huge. That is so, also huge. Yeah, yeah that, so I think all these shots are just coming from essentially, I think where both Spain and Germany won is just essentially dominant, well, having possession of the ball because exactly. this is where all these shots are coming, this is where the offsides are coming. But I mean, you look right. at Estonia, of all the, um, the Baltic nations, they would always be seen as the weakest footballing all right, power. Yeah. You know, so they're, not, they're never really that strong because it is, mm-hmm. I think, Someone can uh, message into us in plus seven nine two five one 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 zero five three. Are Estonia the smallest country in the Baltics? Are they? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I say something. I think they are, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, because I know that Latvia had a little bit of a golden generation. Lithuania are always like fairly so-so. They're not doing that great at the moment. And we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but they they were okay. Okay. What else had you got? Uh, then we have Belgium, Scotland again. Similar <laughs> situation to uh, Spain, Sweden. Uh, Belgium won three and zero. Both teams are fairly well, pretty good. Uh, shots twenty five to four. Uh, shots on target eleven to two. Seventy one percent possession. Seven hundred twenty eight passes to um, Scotland's three hundred seven. Ninety percent pass accuracy. Again, so I think all of this is just coming is just coming from pass accuracy and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah and fourteen fourteen corners to Scotland's no zero. 14 uh, I, against zero. Yeah. Come on. No wonder Andy's hiding. Okay, Look, go ahead. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like all the like the the big teams, they, they won except of course uh, the uh, Croatia for some reason. 
Well, yeah, I mean, okay, we're looking, they're, they're playing weaker teams. But that brings me on to one of the ones that I was watching, of course. It was Ireland against Gibraltar. Gibraltar won the worst teams ever. You know, they lost to Armenia, which is pretty hard to do. 6-2. They've actually beaten Armenia before, but they lost Armenia 6-2. They, like, they're, they're really, they conceded in 10 games in the last World Cup qualifiers, 56 goals. So 56 goals. Ireland beat them, I think it was, like, was it 7-0 in Dublin. This time in Dublin, okay, Ireland won 2-0. 2-0. It was terrible. So Ireland got a goal, and then they got a goal in, I think it was the 92nd minute or something like that. It was just like, it was embarrassing. The Gibraltar team, I mean, most of the guys are amateurs. Like, they play part-time football and so on and so forth. But um, Ireland just couldn't break them down. So it was, it was, it was Ireland's fault, you think? Or, yeah, I or, think so. I think so, yeah. Gibraltar, they, they, they had very good... They just put everybody on... Like, the, the bus formation. That's it. <laughs> the bus formation, defense. yeah. It was got, like, 11 men behind the ball and, like, their grannies. It was really, really bad. And Ireland, they couldn't break them down. And it was, it was getting to the point where you're just kind of going, oh, please, will someone just... But they weren't even putting shots on target. Like, the Gibraltar keeper was pretty terrible. But, like, still, Ireland weren't test them like you know they're cities like yeah. trying to pass the ball in and they were putting lots of crosses in but not from the right positions okay what else did I have a look at I was also looking with great interest at group F now group F, or sorry group H I should say group H of course is one that uh, I think most people would, were watching that were thinking okay France are going to you know just absolutely coast through this one because they are well of course they're obviously the, the reigning world champions of course last year one year ago they won the, the World Cup here in Russia um, however it's not that easy for them. They have, aren't having it all their own way. Of course, they're top of the table. They have nine points. They have, they're a plus nine goal difference, score 12, uh, conceded three. But they're level on points with Turkey and Iceland. And just back behind are Albania on six points. Okay, now Moldova, for one of the former USSR teams, are doing not too bad. They have three points just ahead of Andorra. However, France, I mean, okay, let's look at the three fixtures between the big teams in that group. France beat Iceland 3-0. Then... Last week, we covered this, of course, in the show last week, um, that Turkey beat France 2-0, and then Iceland beat Turkey 2-1. So it's just like, you know, one team beats the other, and that's why they're all on, on nine points. So it's just kind of one of those games, that, or one of that groups that just doesn't seem to make sense. Now, of course, France in September will play um, at home against Albania and Mol uh, Moldova. Yeah, Moldova. Moldova. Oh, excuse me, Andorra. So it's kind of oh. a neighbour Serbia. So they play Andorra. So that's six points for them. But still, it's just like these teams just beat each other. So I don't know. But okay. Russia, of course, played as well. And they were against Cyprus. So after that absolute crushing win against San Marino where for a long time we did say it last week a long time they could not break down the uh, San Marino team except San Marino scored no goal and then just the floodgates opened but looking at the Russia game against Cyprus Russia scored in the first half through Ionov and that was it that was it did you like, no but like they had uh, a lot of opportunities and, and some were like uh, open net opportunities were just like where you, were, you, you shake your head and, and ask yourself like why haven't they scored Exactly. Well, okay, oh, that is fair enough. I do agree with that. That there were times when Russia, you know, they they should have put the ball, over, you know, put the ball in the back of the net. But if you look at it, okay, at the group right now, they are second, of course, to Belgium. Now, of course, they lost to Belgium, but that's, you know, we see Belgium are a really good team. Um, but at the same time, uh, Russia, like you know, against the likes of Cyprus, Cyprus are not bad. But if you look at the group, San Marino are on a minus twenty goal difference, so they've scored no goals and conceded twenty. Scotland, they, okay, they qualified for the playoffs. They're on minus three, but they're in fourth place. Um, Kazakhstan, of course, as well, but in third place. But, I mean, Russia, I don't know. I mean, they, they, we were discussing it last week that 
it does seem to be getting the, the young players through. And again, there wasn't that much of a buzz here in Moscow. I mean, I was speaking with people and who were going to, to bars to watch and so on, but they were kind of going, ah, Cyprus is easy, Cyprus is easy. But Cyprus were not that easy. We were not that easy. Well, like, Alex, do you reckon, like, should Russia... They should qualify for the finals, shouldn't they, next year? Because the, the mm-hmm. final, one of the games has been held here in... Or three or four games held in St. Pete's. Oh, yeah, I think so. Because, you know, again, after their performance in the World Cup, and I think considering that they're kind of like redoing everything and trying to like get back on track, I think it'll be great for Russia to qualify. Yeah, I mean, it, it is good. I mean, they, they deserve it, it. I mean, their their performance during the World Cup was uh, nothing but impressive, of course. Uh, totally agree, totally agree. And we'll come back to that a bit later as well. And we'll speak, of course, with uh, Peter Staunton about that. Um, and, of course, with Andrew Flint, because he had a massive journey out. Now, the next game, of course, for Russia is up in Scotland. It should be in, uh, be in Glasgow. That's on the 6th of September. Um, are we going to ask Andy who he's going to uh, support in that game? Yeah. When, yeah, when he's sitting in the bar somewhere watching the Scotland-Russia game, will yeah. he openly be rooting for Scotland? I think he might actually go home for that game. He might go to Scotland for that game. Oh, yeah, what you right? I I mean, like, I don't know. It'd be tough for me. It'd be tough. I, I I mean, I'd be. I wouldn't want to be sitting beside Andy for watching a game. Though. Oh man, I no. don't think any of us would. No, <laughs> especially if it's like Russia four 0 and he's just sitting there, just like crying into his beer, like you know, just like no, oh, I don't want this. Okay, right. Of course, then Russia are at home against Kazakhstan. Now, one good thing, one good thing that Russia did, they took the Russia show on the road. They played out in Saransk, of course. They beat um, San Marino very, very well. A lot of people were looking at the Saran Stadium as being, as, as being a, a great white elephant, but of course, Tambov are going to be playing there in the, in the Premier League this year. We know that. Um, and then they played in Nizhny Novgorod. And one amazing thing that I saw happened, uh, a friend of our show, uh, Dimitri Sitchov, he was in Nizhny Novgorod, and Alexei Smirton and Alexander Zotov, of course, is here as many times. Um, Sergei Kuzmin, who was here in the studio, was just a couple of weeks ago. They were all in Nizhny Novgorod together because the ex, the Russian legends, Russian football legends, played a game against Russian fans. You know, so outside the stadium, so people who came early to watch the game got a chance to get autographs and the whole lot. So this was organised by the Russian FA to promote football in Russia. I'm sorry, I haven't been keeping up. But what, what, like, who are some of the legends that that played there? Um, well, there was, uh, as far as I remember, there was Dinyar Biliatadinov, who used to play with Everton, of course, in England. He played here with Lokomotiv and with um, Spartak Moscow. Uh, Dimitri Sitchov, of course, was there, and Alexis Merton. So, you know, it was kind of, it was great to see these guys there. Now, there were many other players as well were, were there, but they're just the, the ones who I spotted uh, on the... Um, out on the, on, the, on, the, on the playing field. And also they were signing autographs. They also visited uh, a children's hospital, uh, cool. Dimitri, yeah. So, I mean, that was... We always were ready always to criticise Russian football and clubs. I mean, we, we ourselves, when we were like out in Lokomotiv and seeing what could go on and what could happen, we kicked them very, very hard for not doing what they should be doing. However, um, this was a really good news story. Okay, Alex, so you uh, want to jump No, in? I just want to say Russia, I think they need to uh, work more on the being prepared to like face tougher tougher opponents in the because San Marino like of course it's a good win but San Marino like population thirty three thousand yeah like I looked up San Marino first question is why San Marino a country I'm not making this up so <laughs> <laughs> we're did you know, we're sorry. just narrowing our holiday options like so much like you know <laughs> yeah so I think that Russia really has the potential to um, uh, do some this year and I think they need I think they just need to like prepare more for like, the bigger matchups yeah I think I think they, they need to do something against Belgium at home that'd be good exactly, I think yeah. it's going to be in Lozhniki uh, that'd be a great game I mean you know, yeah I think they shouldn't get used to like this type of like competition because like then 
a team like Belgium can like has like all the chances to end this. I hope not, but yeah, no, I agree. Saying. I agree. It's something that that Russia needs to sort of like just focus on. Well, okay, the Nations League final. You were looking at that, Peter, as well. That was Portugal and Holland. So I mean, yeah, Portugal took home the trophy, one zero. Mr. Cristiano Ronaldo gets another piece piece of silverware, and he's he's a happy man. Yeah, but not he didn't he didn't surprisingly he didn't score. Yeah, he did. I mean, he did not score. There was a weird thing where. Um, People, there was these American investigators who were over trying to serve him with uh, like a kind of what you call it, a summons? Uh, what you call it? What do we, uh, a writ or an order? A court order to go to court. A lawsuit. Yeah, for, for yeah a lawsuit. Yeah. For what? For, well, the incident in the hotel in Las Vegas with oh. the woman. So we'll just leave it there. Uh, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we will. We'll leave it and not touch it. Yeah, let's just, let's just not go there. Um, we discussed it before in depth and we got our knuckles wrapped for us. Okay, now just before we go out to the break, we do have to say that um, we kicking off in the second hour of our show, of course, is Paraguay-Qatar. They're, they're nicely timed. I do have a... I do... Uh, I am annoyed at these people. Why did they start at the same time we go in there and we cover the whole game? Instead of we just... Like last week, we covered the uh, Nations League final, just the first half, and then we went off air and... That was it. We didn't know the result. But 1-0. Um, so, well done to Portugal. I mean, this is a golden generation for Portugal. They're doing very, very well. So, let's let's see what happens next with them. And, of course, looking at their European uh, their, their, their qualifiers. I mean, like, you know, Portugal one of the teams who, for many, many years, have flattered to deceive. They've always been a team that have, how do you say, I don't know. They're qualified already for the playoffs. But right now, even though they've only played two games, they're behind Luxembourg in Group B. Luxembourg, okay? Luxembourg. When we come back after the break, uh, Alex will tell us how many people live in the Duchy of Luxembourg. I okay. Will. <laughs> yeah. All right. We are going to go out to the break right now. We have a, a kind of a nice. This was this was everywhere last year during the World Cup. Um, I think you'll like it. And uh, yeah, I, I like it. it. It grew on me a little bit. Like kind of grew on me like moss would on a on the dark side of a stone. Um, so we're going to go out to the break right now with uh, George Ezra and Shotgun back after the break with Peter Staunton. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Sailing 
green Stick around and you'll see what I mean There's a mountain top that I'm dreaming of If you need me, you know where I'll be I'll be riding shotgun underneath the hot sun Feeling like a someone Okay, welcome back, folks, to part two of tonight's Capital Sports here on Moscow's wonderful Capital FM. We're going to go just in a few moments away to lovely Great Britain, to Mr. Peter Saunton of Gold.com, and have a chat with him about all the news and views, reviews, and previews, of course, of what's going on in England right now. However, Peter, you have three quick stories to tell us before we jump away. Oh, yeah. So Pogba said that he is ready to leave Manchester United. And, uh, uh, and of course, a uh, follow-up of that is... Oh, no, not follow-up, but... Uh, Another player ready to uh, ready to leave and uh, retire, Buffon from PSG, and of course the the third one, uh, the Lampard, might be the next manager for Chelsea after uh, Abramovich promised him two years as the the, the manager. Okay, of course, uh, Sari uh, is reported. Well, I don't know if he's actually left. We'll find out in a moment if he has left to go to Juventus. Of course, it was rumored for quite a while. Um, however, we did think that Pochettino might go, but it now looks like Maurizio Sarri will leave Chelsea. And of course, Derby County's Frank Lampard will end up going there instead, go to Chelsea instead. Okay, we will ask that and a lot more. And of course, chat about his World Cup memories to Mr. Peter Staunton right now. Peter, how are you doing? Can you hear us? I can hear you loud and clear, Alan. Super. Listen, it's great to have you back in here. And it, all, it almost feels like yesterday since you were here with us in the studio. Well, I love my time in Moscow. I think about it every day. And I got a lovely book for Father's Day from my kids as well. And it was that book from the 1980s, A Day in the Life of the Soviet Union, a photo journal. So I've been having all my uh, memories rekindled today by looking at all the places in Moscow for photographs uh, back in those days. Well, listen, I mean, it's, you know, we were discussing this about uh, last week and week four as well, how things have improved here. And of course, Russia, the FA now is moving the Russian team around to, you know, fill up the, the, the stadiums, whether it be Sochi, Saransk and Nizhny to get games out to the public. And it does seem to be working in, a, in, in many, many ways. Um, however, we, we opened up this segment with uh, a few news stories that are, well, newsworthy. Um, Sari going to Juventus and Lampard to Chelsea. Yeah, well, in the last uh, maybe recent hours, the two clubs have confirmed that Sarri is gone from Chelsea uh, and appointed at Juventus. So that one is done. Whatever issues sorted out between Chelsea regarding compensation for Sarri, the force under contract, was well, those have all been sorted. And I think in the next couple of days, we'll see Chelsea taking that compensation back as the most of the last do you reckon is that is that a good move for Frank Lampard it's kind of jumping into something that you know it is I can't say a poison chalice but let's just say it's not that tasty 
Well, I think the circumstances that Chelsea uh, are very specific. I think it's a fellow like them. You know, they've got their, their transfer ban, which means that expectations will be low. And because expectations are low, and you've got a fan favourite going in there, like Ole going to Solskjaer and going back to Manchester United, I think you'll have Lampard having a little bit more benefit of doubt uh, with the fans. So they won't be quick to turn on Lampard the same way Sarri. And even though they're finishing, the, uh, you know, the Europa League winners and inside the top four in the Premier League, you know, played some decent stuff down throughout the season. Sarri never really won the fans over. And... I just think that if he survived this summer, then went in next season and under delivered next season, then Chelsea would be in a big bet and they're looking for a manager on the through the season. I think this way they're setting out their expectations to the supporters and saying, Look, you're gonna to have to stand behind this guy for a couple of seasons now and the best guy to get in in those circumstances is the guy that already has the fans off the side as what all time top goals for. I mean, in all fairness, I mean, you know, as a as a West Ham fan, I mean, I you know, I've always liked Frank Lampard, of course, and his dad, Frank Senior, uh, was just like you know, just really, really tough player for for West Ham, like a real you know, like a real old time pro. So to see him go to Chelsea is good. I would worry though that when he's in that kind of spotlight. Because um, he does have a nice personality, he does seem to be like you know, kind of like the the Joe Cole kind of guy as well. Like, kind of a nice, happy kind of down to earth guy. Not doesn't like to spotlight that much. Just gets his job done. But do you think that what he's done uh, up in the Midlands would kind of merit such a move? No, I don't think he's. I think he's had a good season at Derby County. But you know they did spend a bit of money and they got some of the best talent in Britain uh, on loan uh, last season. I'm talking about guys like like Mason. Fantastic, and Wilson from Liverpool too. You know, you're talking. If you wanted to buy those players, they're about fifty million right there. So I think he kind of hit his mark with Derby County. But I didn't see throughout the course of the season, you know, that sort of overarching philosophy. You know, the Lampard style of play. This is what you're getting uh, in terms of a big club. You know, I think maybe a club like Leeds had far more identity as a season when Sheffield United they had identity. Villa met that late push, and you knew what they were trying to do. Whereas I think Derby were kind of living hand out throughout the season. You know, they were surviving on the results. But I don't, you know, I wasn't that bowled over by Lampard. He didn't show me the promise uh, of a top six coach in that season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was, you know, everyone was kind of like making fun of him, like, and he has this kind of the, the tag of like Fat Frank and so on, which I think is massively unfair because he was a he was a guy with not just an engine, but he was like a hard working player with lovely skill and lovely touch, like a real West Ham product. Um, but at the same time, the the way he seemed to deal with the press was quite nice. Uh, he was, you know, he he got things done, but nothing, um, as you said, with the disposal of talent that he had. He didn't do, you know, he, he should have been really not even worrying about, like, playoff places. He should have been, like, you know, top of the table. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think Derby had, had those kind of players capable of doing in the championship season. And, you know, the fact that they, you know, they had their revenge against Leeds, okay, in the semi-final. Uh, but, you know, against Villa, you know, they, they were very much second best, I thought. And... You know, were they fortunate to get to the playoffs? No, but did they hit their marks? I think they kind of hit par, Alex, if you ask me. And okay. um, regarding the style of play that Lampard has, I still don't, I still don't see it. What he will come at in the Chelsea press room straight away is the respect of some of the younger players who look up to him as a club legend. But as a manager, I'm not so sure. I think they could be making the same kind of mistake that my guy made last year. The feel good factor would only last long. Now, listen, okay, segueing on to Solskjaer, um, you're not that impressed with him. No, I'm not. Uh, 
I think it was a backward-looking point uh, for Man United. It was like, get the feel-good factor back in. You know, it was um, 1999 revival, and he could do no wrong for the first few months, but he faced the same problems that Mourinho faced very, very quickly. He's underperforming players, a defence that's not good enough, players not fit enough, and where these things were looked... When Mourinho was mentioning these things, everybody was saying, oh, this is an excuse, we should be doing much better. But with those guys, for some reason... You know, sort of the perception of it is, is 180 degrees the other way, where people go, oh, yeah, Solskjaer is dead right. They need to sort out these issues before they move forward. Now, if you're going to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, that benefit of the doubt, I think that's a bad idea, because you've got a double Champions League winning coach with proven pedigree in four or five different leagues around Europe, and you've sacked them to take on a novice. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, so I mean, uh, P- Peter here has a question, because we were just discussing just before we came on air, uh, a race to uh, Paul Pogba. Yeah, so there, there is a news going around that, I mean, Paul Pogba had said that he is ready to leave Manchester United. Do you think uh, like, that he will actually leave? Or is it just a rumour? I think when players are confident enough to say these things in public, there's, you know, there's a lot behind it. I mean, it's a well-calculated move. We know he's been working with uh, Mina Raiola. He's sort of had Man United over the barrel for the last few transfer windows. And you think of like Arian and Lukaku and Pogba himself. Uh, so he knows, his, he knows how to get his pound of flesh out of that club, that's for sure. I think Pogba is probably suffering at Man United because the players around him aren't of the same standard. I think Mesut Ozil, he gets singled out of Arsenal a lot, but I think he suffers from a similar kind of problem. Where I think if you put them into a better team, they would raise their own individual level. But, you know, you're just one of 11 in an average team. It's very, very hard uh, you know, to drag people through in that sort of Steven Gerrard way that he spoke for Liverpool all those years ago. But I think Pogba probably has another level in him at a better club, whether that's back to Juventus or whether that's to Real Madrid. Well, I think that will play maybe next couple of days, never mind next couple of weeks. Okay, that's that, that. That is fair enough. I mean, as you said, like you know, his his uh, agent who is under some investigation around the place um, does seem to have uh, Man United by the short and curlies. Um, before we ask about the World Cup, I have that a question about Leeds United now. Of course, falling short, uh, well short, of course, in the playoffs. Um, do you think next season that with what they have right now, what they're going to bring in as well? Do you think they're going to push for automatic uh, promotion, or is it going to be that much har- harder for them next season? I think I would have them down with favourites uh, for the championship at this stage. I mean, you look like you look at what's coming down from the Premier League. You know, a Huddersfield and Cardiff Stadium and Fulham. I, I don't see uh, a, a big super club coming down like like a Villa came down, like Newcastle came down. And I think by taking Norwich out of the equation, you have the best club in the division by far. They're gone now. So I think that sort of the the coast is clear for Leeds a little bit at the top of the league. And I think it's time for them to establish themselves as the force in the championship. The one thing that might hold them back is finance. We do know that Radjusani, the chairman, said that's going to need to sell before they buy. So there players like Jack Clark and Calvin Phillips, two homegrown players. They're at risk. They might go. But if they go and they get one of those goals and they get four or five players, that could boost them, uh, boost their promotion chasing campaign. And I think they have to be quite happy because he didn't make that many alterations to the squad that fit 13 to 14 years before. And he took them all the way up to third. And they were very close to getting automatic promotion. So I think with maybe one or two more key additions, I think he can get them over the line, yeah. Uh, hi. Um, so obviously last year's World Cup was very memorable for, uh, well, especially for like the Russian fans, but for most of the world. But we want to know what was your own favorite memory from last year's World Cup? Wow, that's a good question. 
I think the, the match that stands out, obviously covering the World Cup final is, is an honour and a privilege, but the match that sounds, stands out to me was the, I think it was the second one that I attended in Lushnikki, which was uh, Mexico against Germany. And the pace that Mexico played at and the turn the defending champions over. And I think that sets the tone, really, for a fantastic World Cup. You know, looking back, uh, the football was, was, was exciting. There was loads of goals. Uh, there was surprise results. You know, you had... Uh, Big upset, you know, when you think of Russia putting Spain out, what a memory that is. Uh, Germany obviously going, Belgium putting Brazil out, really good uh, Belgium team. And then, you know, the crown and glory, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing a young player like Kylian Mbappe right at the outset of his career with that World Cup trophy in the past. You know, it was almost thrown back to maybe half a century earlier when Pelé did uh, the same thing in Sweden in 1958. And I think it was one of those kind of landmarks, same World Cup. Everybody has spoken to about that World Cup who looks back on it, looks back on it with huge fondness. For the Russian people, uh, for the execution of the World Cup itself, for the football, for the way they were treated by locals, by the ease in which they got around the country. Nobody has a bad word to say about the 2018 World Cup. I look back on it very, very... I, I, I mean, it's great to hear because, of course, it's it's just it was uh, well just a few days ago uh, and one year ago that uh, it kicked off. Peter, I mean, when when you were here, one of the things we discussed before you came over, of course, was the threat of um, fan misbehaviour and hooliganism or racism or so on and so forth that or discrimination in general that could have been witnessed. Now we didn't see it. In, in any main shape or form, we did see, of course, some of the, the South American fans were kind of, you know, not being that polite and being a bit kind of like um, rude or whatever that. Um, but we last week we discussed what was happening out in Portugal with the England fans. Um, do you think that, you know, that, that had Russian fans uh, done that, like say, well, you know, it, it, in, in qualifiers, for example, they would have been removed from the tournament because it did look like pretty nasty down in Portugal? I think something's going to have to be done. For me, when you have people like Gareth Southgate uh, distancing themselves from the act of... What, look, I'll admit it is a minority. Of course it's a minority. I don't think that's very helpful. So when Southgate says things like, they don't represent us, well, it, it, that's a distortion because they do represent the England team. They follow the England team around and they're the ones that leave the lasting impression in towns like Porto, in towns like Kimmer, in cities like Amsterdam. Um, you know, that's what the locals remember. They remember the wheelbarrows flying off their cars. They remember the bottles coming over the top of the head. They remember the windows being smashed. You know, I've seen maybe a reaction on social media this week. Some of fans going, oh, are you not going to point out all the good behaviour that, that happened uh, in Porto and in Gimlet? Well, hey, that's not news. People going abroad and behaving as they should is not news. The reason why it's notable when they behave badly is because they're probably the only, let's call it, big football country that has this persistent problem with the national team. When Spain go away, it doesn't happen. When the Netherlands go away, it doesn't happen. When France go away, it doesn't happen. Portugal go away, it doesn't happen. Germany go away, same thing. There's a persistent element within that England supportership that needs to be dealt with. Now, the best thing for something like Southgate to do is to get up on stage and apologize and say, we're sorry for the behavior of our supporters, and we will take it. And then look them directly in the eyes and say, you're not welcome here. If you're pulling behind somebody like Tommy outside in England, the Weymouth, you are not welcome at this game. And we will, we do not play for you. We play for Protestant So unless they get it into hand and stop distancing themselves from the act and start owning it, owning it as a, an, an English team problem, an FA problem, I don't think it's ever 
I mean, this is this is something that we had the discussion here before uh, about Russia, and I've been you know very vocal on some of the, the the cretins who would you know call themselves football supporters here and their behaviour, and especially looking at that that the the, the authorities kind of went right. Uh, any any of like you know not just banning orders, but basically these guys were being sat on so they would sit at home. There are banning orders in England because disturbances at England games they'll, or uh, league matches and so on, they'll always be there if people get a bit of drinking and there's always a few Egypts knocking around. But by and large, football matches are much better places to be in England than they were, say, when, well, I'm older than you, but when I was a kid or when even when you were a kid. So can something extra be done, Peter? I think... Um... Well, I'll tell you what's concerning for me at the minute, is that... Since the, let's say, the, the formation of the Premier League, okay, so you have the Taylor Report, we've got all senior stadiums, we've got the Premier League teams get richer. The entire match day experience, certainly in the Premier League and maybe the Championship as well, it's become gentrified. You have all kinds of recognition in England. If there's no resemblance to a match, let's say, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Now, while people are happy to accept those changes, and indeed children and women, uh, families uh, are invited into stadiums and welcomed, and it's become a match day experience. For some reason, this malignancy in the international supportership has jumped through the generations. Now, that's something that I can't regularly explain, that the domestic matchday experience has become more pleasant, more welcoming, more open, more hospitable. But for some reason, that malignant element in the England supportership has been handed down through the generations. If you had bad behaviour at tournaments in the 80s, which you had, all through the 90s, into the 2000s, when the town square at your 2000 was probably one of the worst, 2016 in France, running battles in Marseille. They've had down throughout the generations, and I just, for the life of me, can't figure out why they've got it impact domestically, but it's been allowed to fester and, and allowed to grow more. Uh, the only word I can think of is grow more malignant uh, when the team goes overseas. It's, it's something that, that has to be analysed um, and, and taken into hand right at the top level. They can't just say anymore, well, you know, we can't stop them booking flights on EasyJet and going to Amsterdam for the weekend. It's nothing to do with us. Hey, they're following your team around. You have got to get it into hand. Listen, Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit down with you for, for a beer very, very soon because this is, okay. this is a great topic. And thank you so, so much. Listen, thank you much for taking the call. I know you're on the move right now, but we'll get you back on very, very soon when Mr. Andy Mack is in the studio as well. I would love to. It would be my pleasure. Have a pleasant evening. You too, Peter. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was Peter Staunton of Gold.com. Um, some hard words to say there about England fans, of course, and also some positive words about Russia and basically positive about football in general. Okay, we're going to go straight out to the break right now. Uh, one again from last time, we're kind of a bit of a, a boogie one that you can have a bit of a dance to. This is uh, Tiesto and Jekyll with Jackie Chan back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. She said she too young, no one, no man So she gon' call her friends, oh, that's a plan I just saw the sushi from Japan Now your bitch wanna kick it, Jackie Chan Drop top, how we rollin' down on callin' South Beach yeah. Look like Kelly rollin', this might be my destiny she want me to eat it, I guess then it's on me You know I got the sauce like a recipe She just wanna do it for the grand She just want this money in my hand I'ma give it to her when she dance, dance, dance She gon' catch a Uber out the Calabasas She said she too young, don't want no man So she gon' call her friends, now that's the plan 
just ordered sushi from Japan. Now yo wanna kick it, Jackie Chan. She said she too young, don't want no man. So she gon' call her friends, now that's the plan. I just ordered sushi from Japan. Now yo wanna kick it, Jackie Chan. I think you got the wrong impression about me back Just cause they heard what hood I'm from, they think I'm crazy Okay, well maybe just a little crazy Cause I admit I'm crazy about that lady, yeah Finger to the world, it's you pay I've been slaving, gun the Cause I'm running out of patience No more waiting, no, no Dancing like a yo-yo Living life on fast forward, but we She said she too young, don't want no man So she gon' call her friends, now that's the plan I just ordered sushi from Japan Now yo wanna kick it, Jackie Chan She said she too young, don't want no man So she gon' call her friends, now that's the plan I just ordered sushi from Japan Now yo wanna kick it, Jackie Chan I can't wait for the show. Oh, oh. Got that good, yeah, I know. Oh, oh. You should not be alone. Oh, oh. All this drink got me blind. Oh, oh, oh. Car got me right, and I feel so alive. Hey. She don't wanna think, she don't wanna be no wife. She hey. just wanna stay up late, she just wanna stay no wife. She said she too young, don't want no man So she gon' call her friends, now that's the plan I just ordered sushi from Japan Now yo, just wanna kick it, Jackie Chan Самое лучшее, что могло с тобой случиться, произойдет этим летом. Capital FM даст тебе возможность попасть на крупнейший музыкальный фестиваль в мире. Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Внимательно слушай Capital FM, лови факты о фестивале и первым присылай нам пароль «Take me to Tomorrowland». Если ты собрал все факты за неделю, жди звонка от наших ведущих. И главное, никаких алло. Отвечай сразу «Take me to Tomorrowland» и готовься собирать чемоданы. Главное событие года «Tomorrowland» ждет именно тебя. 18+. Предложение не является публичной офертой. Период проведения акции с 10 июня по 5 июля 2019 года. Слова и выражения, которым вас не учили на уроках английского. It's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. Объясняет стендап-комик Стив Форман. Лондон, Великобритания. A piece of cake. По-английски это значит очень просто кусок торта. О, что может быть лучше, что может быть проще, чем кусок торта? It's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. Capital School. Turn it up! 
Okay, welcome back to part three of tonight's Capital Sports here on Moscow's Capital FM. We are, of course, in the Enka Nambarajani Tower. So we've had people taking pictures today. We've had people looking, waving into us as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. And if you have any comments or text to text in or information or questions even as well, because, because we have our quiz in the sixth segment. So be ready for that. I never am, but I mean, it'll be in the sixth segment. Uh, plus 795-111053. It's beautiful. It's about 22 degrees here, um, a bit cold. It was boiling there yesterday, uh, day before yesterday evening in Verona. 32 degrees, absolutely scorching hot. So, um, of course, we'll just move on from Verona. Okay, uh, we are now going across to Manchester. So, our man in Manchester, I can... I guess I can say that that's fair enough. So, Mr. Andrew Flint. Andrew, are you receiving us loud and clear? I certainly am. Certainly am. Super. Okay. Uh, Andrew, um, first of all, we were discussing earlier on with Peter Staunton about Paul Pogba. Um, he's kind of like looking to try and get a move to get away. So, this is uh, honey to your ears. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to describe it, to be honest with you. Um, I think it would end a lot of unnecessary confusion and drama surrounding him. It does look like he's going, um, and I think we'll get good money for him. He's got two years left on his contract. Um, he is still a good player. He's a world champion, and I think we're actually in a reasonable bargaining position, uh, Manchester United are. So um, hopefully, hopefully, get good money for him, reinvest sensibly, um, and it might actually work out for the best. Okay, I mean that that is that is fair enough because uh, you know we we've been saying all along that he is going to go, and I think that you know with all the crap he was going on with um, you know when Mourinho was there, and then he had a little bit of a, a bump, but he still was not doing the job for for United. So I guess as you said, just get the money in the bank and get rid of him. Okay, uh, Andrew, you are going to give us what was on the back pages of the English newspapers today, but do not mention Mr. Chris Froome just yet. <laughs> Well, um, I think one of the biggest stories really is Frank Lampard's imminent return to Chelsea. Um, now, a lot of people have lain into Manchester United for appointing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, claiming it was purely an emotive decision. Um, Mauricio Sarri is as good as gone to Juventus. I think it's almost been confirmed today. And Chelsea will need to negotiate a £4 million release from Derby County. Um, Frank Lampard's got them promoted, done a good job. Um, at Derby, with the help of some useful loans, it might be added. But he's done a good job, and Chelsea wants to bring him in. Um, and I see a lot of similarities in this between the comparison between Mourinho and Solskjaer and Mauricio Sarri and Lampard. They're going from one polar opposite to the other. Sarri and, and uh, Mourinho are not identical tactically, but they're very demanding, experienced managers. Lampard would be a, a, a return to the old guard. He, he played for them for an, over a decade. He's a legend there. He's loved there. But he does only have a season of experience in the hot seat. But Chelsea are looking for the emotion rather than the experience. Um, now, a lot of the papers are actually saying this is a good move for them. Um, now, a lot of them, same writers have said that Solskjaer was a mistake at United, but are saying... A similar appointment is a good move for Chelsea. I'm not entirely sure how they've worked that one out, but that seems <laughs> to be dominating um, the back page at the moment. Okay, and what else? Okay, so that, that that's one that we did discuss a little bit earlier on. It just seems to be, 
I don't know, a bit strange, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think while Frank is a nice guy, I don't think nice guys will last that long at uh, Chelsea. Mm. Yeah, I, I think so. And I do think the emotional understanding of players is important. And you look at the complete disconnect between some managers and you can't ignore it. Jose Mourinho, whatever anybody may think of him, is clearly an extremely intelligent tactically um, but he just refused to make any effort on the connection um, behind his players. You look at Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool as an obvious example, and you know what you see is a lot of bluster on the sidelines, to, you know, the heavy metal football. But he does back it up with tactical genius as well. And but I think people need to realise it's not just the emotion um, that can make a good manager. It is part of it, but not all of it. And I'm not entirely sure Lampard is the full package just yet anyway. OK, so moving away from that sort of Chelsea conundrum, what, what else is uh, grabbing people's attention? Uh, well, the Cricket World Cup at the moment um, in England, it's had a surprisingly low-key coverage, generally speaking, around the country. Um, but... Uh, England are doing very well. Joe Root has his third top run scorer in the tournament at the moment. Um, England are comfortably in the top four and have Afghanistan to play on Tuesday. So that should be another comfortable win. Okay, and um, it, it, when, when, we're, when we're looking around, I mean, we, we, we're seeing like kind of, you know, Wimbledon is coming up as well. Um, mm -hmm. is, there, is there much of a buzz about, like, say, the tennis season come up or are people still kind of more focused on football? What's taking up most of the headlines? Uh, there's not really been much coverage uh, about the about the tennis yet, um, but that will pretty much dominate once it comes around. Um, it's mostly been focused, I'll be honest, on the well, the cricket World Cup. The women's World Cup is getting a lot more coverage than women's football ever has, and in England have got two business-like results in the women's World Cup as well. So that's that's encouraging. Um, but in terms of the tennis, not not a lot really yet. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of media okay. are. For various reasons, covering women's football more now. Okay, Tyson Fury got a big win last night. Uh, was even though it was quite late, it was the early hours of this morning, he beat uh, Mr. Schwartz from Germany. Um, mm. But ha has much been made of that at all? Uh, not really. No, I think most people expected it. Well, obviously, of course, most people did, given his experience. Um, not a lot of coverage. Um, mostly, it's been, if anything, comments from his brother. Um, so. I think uh, I think most people are really looking forward to the Deontay Wilder rematch, which I believe is likely to happen in December. That's what most people want to see, I think. Um, so really, it was just one of those routine, get the next challenger out of the way and start building towards a proper rematch. But in terms of coverage, not a great deal at the moment. And what about football in general? I mean, any, any sort of like interesting sort of like transfer stories there sort of bubbling away, I mean, outside of the managerial realm, shall we say? I tell you what, the one that is really interesting is West Ham. Um, Pablo Fornals from Villarreal, who I have to be honest, is one of the most thrilling, thrilling wide players in, in European football at the moment. And for a very good fee, they signed him for 25 million. And I think that could turn out to be one of the best signings they've made. And West Ham's transfer record has been terrible in recent years. So, you know, if they, if they get him uh, up and running in the side and... They have Felipe Anderson, of course, if they can keep on out of it. Suddenly, West Ham could be challenging for top six or seven. So I think that's probably the, the most interesting move that we've seen recently that's been reported. Do you reckon that like, you know, they could get actually 
that high. I mean, because they have a decent, you know, lineup, but not like anything wow. So, but you do reckon that they could actually break top six? I don't think they will, but I think they have the potential to if they can add one or two more um, experienced players and keep hold of the brilliant Englishman, Declan Rice. Um, okay, <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, I think Leicester and Wolves are the best two challengers uh, at the moment anyway. But Fornals is a good signing by West Ham and one or two more quality signings and they, they could join that group of challengers. Okay, that is fair enough. Um, in terms of with the um, English, I know you've been home for a few days. Has anyone been talking about what happened in Portugal last week or it's kind of just gone quiet? Uh, I've, I've not heard a whisper, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Nations League as a general concept, but I think a lot of people just haven't really understood it very well. Um, most of the coverage, of course, was around the fans and their behaviour, which was, once again, you know, we spoke about this last week, it's, it's disappointing, but the actual football itself, I think most people are just trying to move on rather swiftly to qualification instead. Um, but I, I think people will grow to understand the Nations League more in, in coming years, but at the moment, nobody, nobody's really talking about it over here. Okay, no, well, I get, we did, we gave a good bit of coverage last week, and we were like kind of... Um, with it. Now, you are, of course, in Manchester, so Manchester, there are, let's just say, they're still looking for a technical director. Now, of course, we were thinking that it could be someone that we know would be going in there. Uh, a certain Mr. Stoffel's house, Eric, uh, might be going in because they're, they're, they're kind of looking for um, someone to head up the transfers in, in United. Is there any news yeah. of that at all or it's still just like, you know, all in-house at the moment? Well, there's not been any fresh news uh, in the last week since I've been back anyway, but the the main theme seems to be that they they want it to be somebody with experience who has either been at the club as a player or has some some direct connections, and it, it has led to names like even Rio Ferdinand was mentioned as a name. Um, and I think it's just going far too far down that route of, you know, we go back to the emotional connection. If you understand the club, that's great, but it doesn't help you negotiate with hard-lined, experienced businessmen in European football, which is what you need. You look at uh, Michael Edwards' analysis at Liverpool, you look at Daniel Levy as a negotiator at Spurs, and then if you brought in Rio Ferdinand to do that job, you wouldn't have that level of respect in the business sense. And it is a business position, there's no ways about it. Uh, but no, there hasn't been any new news, um, no, nothing concrete anyway. So I think, yet again, it is United's board dragging their heels, which is going gonna to harm the club because other clubs are getting their business done. And United, so far, have Dan James assigned. And there's talk of Juan Bissaka having a medical out in Italy. He's with the under-21s at the moment. He's, uh, he's the, crystal, the Crystal Palace, Palace lad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's um, well. I mean, he he had his he had his breakthrough there, and of course, he's he's valued at about fifty million. I think it is uh, fifty, sixty million nowadays is not that much to be honest. It's probably good value for a player who's had a fantastic season. Um, I actually think he would be the right man to bring in, and uh, if it takes a bit longer, fair enough. But it it needs to be done. Business needs to be done more quickly, and at the moment, it's far too slow. Okay, um, with the the. Uh the lad James, he's coming in from Swansea, of course. He, they, they say that, that the deal is like kind of around £18 million. So, so to, uh, like roughly around that, or he can reach that. 
Mm. Um, he's a talented youngster uh, and sort of, you know, kind of... Um, but he's not that experienced and he needs somebody kind of a, a right winger who can get up and, you know, get some attacks underway. But he, he doesn't really seem to fit that bill. Well, it's a gamble. Um, I, I'm in support of the deal in general for a couple of reasons. One, it's relatively low risk in the sense that there's a, a low outlay. His salary won't be that high either. And he does have some, some serious raw potential, but it is raw. And at this point, do they have the patience uh, at United to, to really blood in a player who could become a very, very dangerous player, but at the moment is... I mean, he, he is an intelligent player. He's not just a speed demon, um, but it's, it's, will he have time to bed in? Um, Solskjaer likes to have a long time to prepare his players, a good pre-season for fitness, and it will take a bit of time for Dan James to get settled into that. So... Um, on the other hand, who else would United be able to attract at this point with no Champions League football? Well, what about Harry Maguire from Leicester? Because, I mean, he, he is, uh, you know, he, he is a player that's really, I mean, I think he's a very good centre-half. He was good in the World Cup, of course, and he, he is a kind of a leader as well in defence. And they, they have been, you know, needing to kind of get a, bit, a few extra bodies at the back. So what about Harry Maguire from Leicester? Yeah, I, I mean the price that's been mentioned of about ninety million is ninety million extortionate. But he, I mean, he's English. He he oh, yeah. he would slot in relatively simply. He is better than Phil Jones and Chris Smalling, and he he is going to be a premium. He's an, an England regular. He's played at the World Cup. He's uh, you know he's at about the right age. He's at his peak age, I'd say. Um, I mean, it's more than I'd like to spend, but I don't really see that much of a problem with him. Um, it's not going to break the. It's not going to be a groundbreaking signing in the way that Virgil Van Dijk turned out for Liverpool. But I don't think he would be that bad a signing. I'd be happy if he came. Okay, listen, Andrew, hang on there with us. We're going to go to the break right now, but we will be back with you in just one moment. So um, we're going to go to the break at the top of this hour, of course, because kicking off in just two minutes, of course, is that huge, huge world showdown between Paraguay and Qatar in the Copa America. Go figure. Okay, we're going to rest at a break with Cardi B, Bad Bunny and Jay Balvin. And this is I Like It, back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. I like stunning, I like shining, I like million dollar deals, where's my pen, bitch I'm signing I like those Balenciagas, the ones that look like socks I like going to the Tula, I put rocks all in my watch I like sexes from my exes when they want a second chance I like proving wrong, I do what they say I can't They call me Cardi, Cardi, can't get body, spicy mommy, hot tamale Hotter than a Somali, bird, go, Hop up the stool, jump in the coop Big dip on top of the roof Flexing on as hard as I can Eating halal, driving a lamb So that bitch, I'm sorry though Got my coins like Mario Yeah, they call me Cardi B I run this shit like cardio